Welcome to my podcast about success, peace, and hope. I'll start by stating that I'm not the most successful person on earth. I'm not Bill Gates or a distinguished professor of philosophy and moral judgment. I'm just a 25-year-old Ugandan kid who has worked hard to finish a master's degree and who is grateful to be here. A boy who knows that tomorrow is never promised, so using today as there's no tomorrow. The thoughts expressed here are sometimes crude and can be rumblings. It is not supposed to be a conclusive treatise on the subject. I started this project hoping that someone can learn from my failures, tribulations, and from the countless lessons I've learned from the strangers over the years. I welcome any feedback or if you would like to share any of your personal experiences with us. Thank you. So each episode, will have a lesson that summarizes what I have learned about life. Lesson 1. Often life is not easy. It is tough. However, power lies in truly understanding your intended outcomes and knowing how to use them to fulfill your life goals. Episode 1. My story. My name is Stuart Walkaga. I just moved to Los Angeles after finishing a master's degree in public health at the University of Minnesota. I live in an apartment with three roommates. I like long distance running, uh, marathons, and I like dancing. Sometimes I lie in my bed and read great books like A Gentleman in Moscow and The Brothers Komarov. I eat good food and I am never hungry. However, that has not always been the life for me. I was born in 1997 and grew up with a single mom and 11 siblings in a windowless home the size of one car garage. People always ask me what is my birth order and the short answer is it is complicated. My father had different women simultaneously and all who had children almost at the same time so we couldn't know who is the oldest. I know what you're thinking well why can't you use the birth certificate? So if you're born from home it is so hard to remember which exact date of the month you were born. Six of my siblings shared one bunk bed, three girls on the lower bunk and three boys on the top. The rest of us slept on the floor in an area that doubled as a kitchen. My mother raised all of us herself while struggling with tuberculosis and HIV. For 18 years, my siblings and I never ate more than one meal a day. We were always hungry. Besides not having food all the time, My father left us when I was six, cutting us from the paternal side of the family. He worked in a wood shop 10 miles from our house, hauling logs on a bicycle, but he never contributed any financial support to us. He did, however, contribute to our family size with seven more children he had with different women, which he promptly dropped off on my mother's doorsteps each time. I still wonder how my mother was able to raise all of us without having a stable full-time job. She volunteered at a local research hospital where she offered words of encouragement to HIV-positive people who were abandoned by their families. This was during the time when stigma was so high. Furthermore, she also volunteered as an inpatient hospital assistant and caretaker for very sick admitted patients at Mulago Hospital. She collected clothing for them, changed bed sheets, and fed them. She would go for a very long time. Sometimes it would take us two days without seeing her. Some people say that some people are born naturally smart, 
and I would believe them because of my mom. Having only completed primary seven, she was the best in the country, earning her a scholarship at one of the best secondary schools in Uganda. However, my grandfather refused to enroll her into the school, wanting the school to first pay him on top of the scholarship awarded to my mother. They refused ending her school going years. Even with her limited education, she could understand and write English very well, acting as an interpreter for others in the clinic, also while doing her art and craft on the side. She would draw, design things from her head without ever being told. She was one of the head volunteers to help in the art and craft session, teaching other women who were struggling with HIV with art therapy. So my mom, when, we, uh, when she converted to Christianity, her family disowned her, leaving us very isolated from the maternal side too. It is very rare for families in Uganda to exist without help from extended families, but that was us. With no relatives to come to our rescue, we depended on the mercy of our neighbors and the, our ability to work hard. It was this work hard and continued exposure to sickness without proper protective gear that led to my mom being hospitalized for tuberculosis for a very long time. With my father gone and my mother in the hospital, I found my first big success. I started going around the neighborhood cleaning people's houses, washing clothes and utensils, mopping floors, sweeping compounds. I also collected metal scraps for metal dealers. These two jobs provided enough food for my family to eat one meal a day. When my mother was discharged from the hospital after two months, still very weak, she asked why we were not in school. We told her about the payment problem. We had not paid school fees in a very long time. She insisted that my brothers and I walk her to the three miles to the school, where she begged for help from the principal, who finally allowed five of us to attend school through the Global Care Program. I continued working during the evening and school breaks, bringing food home from my family. After nearly a year of TB treatment, my mother partially recovered from the sickness, but her lungs never fully recovered, mostly due to the smoke from the cooking indoors using firewood and her weakened immune system from the HIV and tuberculosis. Given that she was a volunteer and did valuable work for the clinic, the management accepted her idea of selling snacks to the patients while waiting for the clinic to open at 8 a.m. For this to work, my mother had to arrive at the hospital at 6 a.m. to give her enough time to sell her stuff and then resume her volunteer duties. I had to wake up at 4 a.m. each day to start preparing snacks. I loved waking up because it was the only time I was alone and the world was so quiet. With this quietness came a peace in my heart. I felt that I had control of my life and the work I did. I felt I was powerful. Sometimes my siblings helped me in preparing the snacks, but it was mostly me. My mother would wake up at 5 a.m. to supervise the work and also prepare for the day. My mother brought the snacks to the hospital herself when school was in session, walking the six miles to the hospital. But when I turned 11, I started walking to the clinic with her during school breaks. After selling snacks, I would join her in the helping patients and doctors, bringing them lunch, photocopying documents, 
buying medicine from the pharmacy, pushing patients up the hill to do their chest x-rays, and helping nurses while admitting patients. I liked working with my mom. She was always happy, even when things were not going well. I traveled with her and held the responsibility of making sure that all her wishes were fulfilled to the dot. In my life, it wasn't all about helping other people, but it was more of helping my mom and making her proud. Seeing the numerous sacrifices she had made for us, I just felt that it was only fair for me to be there for her. She entrusted me with all the numerous businesses she worked on, such as decorating on weddings, chapati making, uh, helping as a village hospice, and other things which provided food for us. The people would give us the food from all these jobs, and that was our dinner for the day. And those were my first encounters with grief, pain, and hard work working with my mom. On the weekends, I would not go to the hospital. I joined some of my brothers in hawking ginger, silverfish, tea, hard-boiled eggs, sugarcane, jackfruits on the streets of Kampala and in different neighborhoods, some of other ventures from my mom. We would usually walk 15 to 20 miles a day until the food was all sold. Whoever sold all their loads would be allowed to have a Rolex. Uh, it's a type of street food, uh, which is eggs and flatbread. That is a very good delicacy in Uganda. I spent close to 20 hours each weekend working. When it was time for me to join secondary school, my mother fell ill again with tuberculosis and she was hospitalized. I had to stay back and work so that we could get something to eat and buy medicine, plus paying for the house rent. One of my older brothers had already joined secondary school and some of my younger siblings were still in primary school. So therefore, I had to take on the charge of helping. So one day, while working in the clinic, I was approached by a very kind lady called Brenda. I had gotten to know her and we had become friends during the time while I was volunteering at the clinic. She asked why I was not in school and I explained the issues. She decided to help with the school fees and upkeep at school. This allowed me to start and finish all my six years of secondary school. This was a very big success for me and my family and I still continued to work with my mom during school holidays. I loved my classes, mostly economics, and my fellow students nicknamed me Adam Smith after the founder of modern economics. I was always the best in my economics class even though I was only a part-time student competing with full-time students. My teachers and other fellow students helped me with class notes, times that I missed. After sitting for the national exam in the fourth year of secondary school, I went to stay for a few months with my friend who was a pastor. The residents loved my work and so much that they wanted me to stay and they said that they would pay me and also cover my school fees. My mother and I were so thrilled about this offer but we knew it would not work. Given how sickly my mom was, I needed to stay home to help, plus I already had scholarship from Brenda. So the residents in return generously agreed to sponsor two of our siblings instead in exchange for their home care services, helping around the houses and doing all the fun stuff. When I finally got to my last two years of secondary school, my mother's health continued to worsen, which increased the pressure on me. I knew I had to be in school full time, but I also had to help out my family. None of my siblings cared enough to carry the load. Some of my schedule 
during the day. I would wake up at 4 a.m., prepare the snacks, walk to the hospital and be there by 6 a.m., sell the snacks until around 10 a.m., run to school about a mile away, study until 4.30 p.m., then head back to the hospital to pick up the flasks and the baskets that I would use to sell the snacks, and then walk six miles home. Then I would cook for my siblings, fetch water, which was like around five miles from where we lived, and then read some things and copy the school notes from my previous class, and then try to sleep by 11 p.m. So then after that, four hours later, I would do it all over again. Due to these challenges, I scored low on my final exams in my last year of secondary school, even though I was the best among the math, economics and geography majors in my school. The score lowered my chances of getting the government scholarship, which would have allowed me to attend the prestigious Makere University. Not anyone could get into the Makere University on a government scholarship. So for you to do it, you had to get very good marks. Despite of having no one in my family going to the, this university and no, having no money, I decided that I really wanted to study economics at the university, so I needed to apply. I did not know where the money was going to come from, but I just thought I would give it a try. So you're given six choices for all the subjects. So I chose economics, uh, quantitative economics, and I also chose a bachelor's of science in statistics, a bachelor's of uh, arts in economics, and another one in sciences and business administration. Out of desperate attempt to know that I am getting then, I applied for another bachelor's of science in population studies, which I knew nothing about. But all I knew that I just wanted to get into the university. As I waited for the results, quite a few things happened which changed my life. One, my friend Brenda taught me a great deal about business skills and fundraising, how to communicate and timekeeping, and how to talk with white people. She always differentiated between Muzungu time and African time. Muzungu time, you have to arrive on time. If the meeting is at 8, it's supposed to be 8. While African time, yeah, you can stretch a little bit, you know. If the meeting is at 8, then you can come at 10, maybe 9. Yeah, and if there's rain or bad weather, then there you can come at midday, at 3, or you can cancel the meeting after making the, the person wait for a very long time. So me understanding how to differentiate between the Muzungu time and the African time came very handy when I started working for the University of Minnesota because I had to work with white people. The second thing that happened, my father, who had never visited our home in a very long time, brought two children to our house uh, one day and dropped them the doorsteps and left them. I was working at the hospital at the time, but my mom, who was homesick, refused to send the kids away. She said they had done nothing wrong. At the time, the girl was five and the boy was six. We had now 13 children in the house. And two days later, my mother's friend, who was a pastor also, decided that it was time for us to leave because we had not been paying rent for a long time. Then things became worse. Now we are homeless, sick mother and 13 children to take care of without food. Everyone was hungry and we were on the streets and nothing to do. I decided to go to another church friend of my mom to help us use half-built house where we could stay. 
So she decided that she would charge us twice the rent and had some few other rules. One, we were not supposed to cook over firewood in her house or anywhere in her compound. We are not supposed to make any noise after 10 p.m. And the children, special children, were not allowed to play in our compound. With such a big family, it was so hard to meet all these requirements, but we had to make it work since we did not have any other choice. So I decided that the children were either to stay inside or play somewhere else. As for the cooking, we had to walk a few miles to our previous neighbor to use the half fire pit. This was extremely challenging but we had no choice. I continued working on everything I could find, washing cars, cleaning houses on the weekend, to raise money for our rent. And during the week, I was in the hospital volunteering and selling snacks that would give us some daily income. Another thing that happened was I got this idea of teaching Luganda to white people, one of our native languages. I walked up to them and told them, hey, would you want to learn some Luganda? This was useful for them because they would have, they would communicate with patients who sometimes could not understand any of the language. So them building a rapport with them with a few Luganda phrases would go a long way. And this is how I met Anna, who is not the real name, who agreed to pay me at once for a full year's payment so that I can use that to pay for one semester of school if I got into the university. Well, lucky for me, I was accepted into my last choice of population studies at the university, at Macquarie University. I had got into the university, now how was I going to pay for it? I knew there was one semester of funding available for me, but then what about the books and all the other things that you need? As I said, none of my family had gone to the university or had finished all like any of their classes at the university. So what was going to make me different? Like how was I going to do it? But I knew I wanted to do it. So as I was still thinking about these things and how I was going to maneuver through the university, another thing happened. This time during my, one of my lessons, I had met an American boy who had come to do some volunteer work at this, the same HIV clinic I was working at. So I was teaching him some classes, but unfortunately he was involved in an accident which led to a hip fracture and he was rushed to a hospital. As they were trying to figure out how to deal with it and where to take him, I volunteered to stay with him in the hospital, helping him out with whatever he needed. A few days later, his father came in and he was so grateful for me being there to his young boy. He asked me about my life and what I wanted to do. I told him about my goal of going to the university to break the cycle of poverty. So on the day that they left the hospital, he gave me $500 to buy a laptop for school. It was the first time I had held American dollars in my hands. I was so excited. I was flying, so I took the money to my mother and showed her. She just couldn't believe it. So the following day, I went to a money exchange bureau in town and came back with 2 million Uganda shillings. It was the highest amount of money we had ever held in our life. So guess what? Rather than buying a laptop, I used the money to stock up on medicine for my mother, get her some good food, 
pay full year of rent for our house and stock up some dry food for our family. I considered this to be a very big success. Even though I had not bought the laptop as I had originally intended, I was just happy. But as luck may have it, I received another unexpected donation from the team to help me pay for the school fees. So they insisted that I needed to use this money for school fees, which I did. So between the money from the second donation and the money from Anna, I was able to pay for my first semester of school and also go through the student housing. I shared a tiny room with six other boys. It was my first time living away from home and I was so happy. I just thought of the freedom and the liberty to schedule my own things and just not having the constraints of a home. However, given the very many years of hard work, I knew that this freedom was not to be taken for granted, so I had to still work hard. So I would wake up at 5 a.m., go to the library to study until 6 p.m., walk three miles to the hospital where I volunteered, and that helped me to have some steady income for my family, and I would visit them every weekend. So since none of my brothers were uh, interested in keeping the snack selling business, we had to stop that. At the hospital, I helped in pushing sick patients up the hill for their chest x-rays, photocopying, and helping in some of the research data. After work, I went to school uh, from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. Then I went to the library and do some reading, which I don't know if I was reading or the books were reading me because I did more of sleeping than reading. But eventually, like, as you keep on uh, trying, your brain awake and then I could read for some time before I would go home to my bed at midnight. So in my classes, I also did a lot of dozing um, while the professors and lecturers were teaching. But the good thing is that given that the work I was doing was closely related to the things I was studying, I was able to answer all the questions in my class. And that was surprising to some of my lecturers because I was sleeping a lot in class. Most of my classmates, they did not know what jobs were awaited for them after completing a Bachelor's of Science in Population Studies. But I knew what I was going to do. I was going to be a researcher. Case closed. So I just knew that I just needed to work hard. I had to perform very well. And then one day I'll be a researcher. Work study is a very rare thing in Uganda because of lack of jobs that provide flexibility to support this kind of thing. Here in the U.S., there are on-campus jobs where you could work 20 hours and still go to school. It rarely exists in Uganda, but I had this rare opportunity. This gave me purpose and motivation to keep grinding through my classes and to perform well. I eventually got another job with the research team as an assistant study coordinator. I was paid 100 Uganda shillings per week, which is like $26. This was enough to buy food for myself and send the rest of the money home. On the weekends, I would teach Uganda, I would clean other people's apartments, I would wash cars and do other laundry stuff. One day, I ran into Sebastian a man who I had gotten to know two years ago as I was 
doing some of the fundraising for the arts projects with Brenda. He remembered my goals and plans as well as my home struggles. He offered me another job on his research group. With this new job, I was able to stop working on all the other jobs. I had gotten health insurance for the first time. I opened my first bank account. When I told my mom about all these new things, she was happy for me. And she was happy for that somebody in our family was getting successful in some way. So whenever the money would come in, I would tell her that this is how much we've made and she would direct me on how to spend it. That made my life easy because when you're successful or when you get money, it's so difficult because everyone wants a piece of it. So my mom just breached the gap between that so I did not have to do it. As the semester came to a close, the gentleman I had helped the son came back to Uganda and he offered to pay most of my school fees. Another thing, as the semester came to a close, I also became a house manager for the Minnesota house. This house housed mostly students, faculty, and visitors, mainly from the University of Minnesota, which was located in Kampala. In this place, I got my own room for the first time, which had a shower, a porch, and also we had internet. I was so overjoyed to just move out of my bed bug ridded place to a new home. And they gave me a small allowance after some time, which was different from the pay at the clinic. So I was having three jobs, which were full time. Yeah, now I had three jobs. So all of a sudden I had well-paying jobs and I was still in my first year of school of the three years required to finish the science and population degree. Success had come at last. I was able to take care of my family, my mother, I would, was able to buy her medication, I was able to pay school fees for my, all my siblings, and I would save the rest. These jobs kept me so busy that I did not get a lot of time to make friends or eat food, but I was happy nevertheless. I was doing good things for my family and my community. Nobody would chase us from the house, we had food to eat, my mother had all the medicine. I was happy. I was successful. This happiness did not last for long. I still think it all started with me wanting to grow my hair so that I could one day make dreadlocks. But in reality, I slowly began to resent my role as a provider for my family. It was too much responsibility for an 18-year-old kid. As the house manager for the University of Minnesota, I interacted with so many young American students who stayed at the house. Staying with them meant that I had stories of a different world, how they used their money to be young and travel the world. These stories started to make me feel that it was unfair for me to use my money that I've worked so hard on my family rather than traveling the world. They were young, wild and free while well, I was enslaved to my own family and taking care of all my siblings. This made me feel that I wasn't, I did not belong. Like it made me feel that there was something missing and I had to go somewhere to find it. So I thought that once I leave Uganda or if I find another place, then maybe I'll feel much more accomplished and I'll be able to enjoy the hard-earned money that I have worked for. As I continued to go through life in Uganda, 
I never complained outwardly about any of my situation. I just continued to do what I was supposed to do. But deep inside me, I felt tired of doing the work I had done for so long. The signs started to show in my rebellion, namely not wanting to cut off my hair. So due to the British influence, men are not frowned upon with growing their hair. So good men always have their hair short and it's all gloomed, put on nice clothes, and you're perfect. But I felt that there was so much more. Like people would have to grow their hair. Why do you have to be constrained? So led to my rebellion. But every time I visited my mom, she would tell me that you have to cut off your hair. You don't look so good. But then, given that she knew how hard I worked and how I supported the family. She did not dwell on it so long, but my village members and everyone kept on nagging me about it. They said, you're working, you have money. Why don't you just cut off your hair? At work, my Ugandan colleagues would tell me, you earn money, you should go to the salon and cut off your hair. One of them told me that you should cut, like we pay you enough money. You should definitely be able to afford the salon. But when I talked to my American bosses about if it was important for me to be to cut off my hair, they said, no, it's not. As long as I did my job well, which I did, then there's no problem with me keeping my hair the way I wanted. So I was like, well, that answers the question. So I don't need to cut off my hair as long as I keep working. With all these things going on, I started to visit my family less and less. I just never wanted to go into any fights with my mom about my hair. The tension had started to make me feel like a stranger in my own country. I felt that there is somewhere where everything is perfect, where people do what they want. And so I thought the U.S. would be that place. So earlier on, I applied to Michigan State University and I was accepted. However, my high school teachers, while writing the recommendation for my scholarship, they wrote, he's a good boy, and that's it. Guess what? I was not accepted. What does a good boy mean? You know, what does it mean? So I was so furious with them for just writing, he's a good boy, but I had nothing to do. Because culturally, you're supposed to be a good boy, and you're not supposed to question the decisions of the adults. So I counted my loss and just continued studying at Macquarie University. But I thank, like I am grateful that I wasn't able to go at the time that I wanted to go because this was the time when my mom's health was continuing and continuing to worsen and she needed me to be here. And so I was very lucky that I just yeah, did not go and these things just did not work out the way I wanted. So as my mom's health continued to worsen, and again my siblings, some of them refused to take care of her since everyone thought they had a different life, I continued to go home, take care of her, go to school, go to work. These are the long days of my life where it's just so hard. It was just hard. Like, half school, you have to work. Your brain and mind is cut in different pieces. But that's when I thought, like, this is a good time. The stretches were good for me to learn. Because you're no longer working or thinking. 
you're just working as a machine you are in automatic mode i don't know if you know what i mean it's like you just know this is what i'm supposed to do you're not thinking you know have to do this wake up do this do this it's like a plan is already set for you and you don't have to think of any decisions and those were my days and they were long dark days i had the money to buy her everything she needed i would buy her the medicine but i just couldn't stop the pain from the diseases like i could do all the other things to shield her but i just couldn't take away the pain and that I never wanted to think about and keeping busy through all these things kept me to cope up with all these dark times. After a long time of sickness, my mother passed away in 2019 and it wasn't the tuberculosis but it was the liver cancer that killed her. I lost my mom. She was the motivating force and she kept me sane through all these things. She thought of things I just needed to act even though everything seemed that we were successful i wasn't because i wasn't able to provide the health that she needed after my mom's death i thought that this was the end of the road i was going to be peaceful from now on and enjoy the life these are the things i thought about i just did not know that this was just the beginning of a long journey so two weeks after my mother's passing My 14-year-old brother was diagnosed with bilateral nephrosis, a fatal kidney disease which led to kidney failure. We worked hard to provide the kidney that he needed, but this always unsuccessful. In January 2022, he passed on to another world. He was sick for almost his entire life, but he was strong, just like my mom. They handled disease with grace. He wanted to be a doctor. He wanted to help other children who were suffering. By the time he died, part of me felt happy for him because he was just no longer in pain. Just like how my mom, I was happy that she passed because the pain had gone away. They did not have to suffer anymore. They had been brought into this world which was unfair to them, and they worked hard every moment and every time to keep going. even with all the suffering they just did not give up they were my absolute role models so left with my other siblings to take care of i still feel that i failed to help him i still feel that i failed to take care of my mom too they were there for me and i wasn't there to be helpful like i don't resent and i don't blame other people i don't blame my siblings for not not having to help i just blame myself sometimes that i i just wasn't the doctor that they needed i wasn't the miracle drug that would bring them back to life yeah but it is what it is it's just life we win some and we lose some my mother taught me to serve other people before self and that is what i've been doing all my life she was always hard on me never expecting less than perfect She was different with my siblings. She did not require them to go through the hard times. I would see my siblings sleeping in whenever it, they wanted, doing whatever they wanted, and they would keep their money whenever they worked, and they would skip school. Me on the other hand, I was just laboring away. When I tried to skip school, 
I was beaten so badly, spanked so badly, and I was left to sleep outside as punishment. I was one of the few people who actually cared about what she wanted, and she paid me back by sending me to do everything. When my siblings learned of this, they started to intentionally leave their chores undone, knowing that when mom comes, I'll have to do it. Don't get me wrong, I loved my mom and I still do. I think all the training that she put me through helped because I was able to keep up with six jobs, go to school, and be able to take care of my family. She knew that the world does not revolve around me, and if we were going to have anything or any chance in making it, I had to work so hard. I still hold some bitter thoughts about my siblings sometimes for not helping my mom when she needed but life, everyone has their own choices and everyone carries their own cross. When I finished my Bachelor's of Science at the Macquarie University, I knew I, I wanted to go to the University of Minnesota to study a master's degree and went with through all my classes. And this kept me going to school even when the, it was tough to go. In 2021, I moved to, to Minnesota to start my master's degree at the University of Minnesota. This was a long plan for me. From Right from the beginning, I knew that I was going to go to the U.S. And this helped me to shape um, my ways and interactions with people. Because knowing what the plan is gives you a solution on how you're going to move your pieces how you're going to play the chessboard to make sure that you win the game. And this, just having that inner like, longing to just leave the place and hoping that the grass will be greener on the other side helped me. So as we will continue to learn from these experiences and uh, my life in Uganda and the two years that I've spent here in the U.S., and we'll try to understand what success is. In all my life going through school, being able to finish the bachelor's degree in Uganda, being able to take care of my family, paying rent every day, and taking care of my siblings, I thought I was successful. But then, as when I moved to the U.S., things changed. I was no longer successful. I thought that other people were more advanced than I was, and that led me to a depression of trying to figure out who I was and who I am and where do I come from. Amidst all this identity crisis that led to the birth of this podcast and what you will be listening to throughout the next seasons. In this episode, our closing poem goes like this. It's a titled Ugandan Boy. In the tropics of Africa, with the scenic blue skies, ancient caves, rolling mountains of the moon, surrounded by the mighty jungles of the Congo, where the river Nile flows wide and large, the sun shines bright and the rain honors the land with its waters, the land forged in blood and tears and laughter. The Ugandan boy was born. Oh, you should see my motherland. Women carrying men on their backs is the order of the day. Strong and mighty like the mahogany trees. Are they really strong? Ever challenged but never defeated. Disease, political lies, war, crime, hunger, 
moves unhindered on the streets of our home. Ugandan boy, Ugandan boy, Ugandan boy. In a tough world you were born. In a tough world you live. Oh wait, in a tough world you will save. Every day with hardship they moved. With a dream of a better world. The Ugandan boy worked, now studied and worked. Moving from house to house in search of a better life. Like the lions of the Serengeti, looking for the next opportunity. What do you want to be, Ugandan boy? They ask. I want to be a doctor. No, I want to be a lawyer. Oh, I want to run away from poverty. The monster that eats our community. From father to son, mother to daughter, no one escapes. Or maybe I will be the first. I will run away as far as I can. I will. One meal a day, sick mother, no school fees. Ugandan boy, Ugandan boy, Ugandan boy. Who do you want to be? Ugandan boy, you can be anything you want to be. You just want need to work hard. Perseverance, humility, and kindness. You work for a brighter day. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. My God, will tomorrow ever come? I had my name. I'm coming, my dear, just on the back of a tortoise.